Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success, a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Julie McIntosh from the Classic Safari Company, Australia's premier safari specialists. Since 1992, Julie and her team have been exploring the world and sharing their travel passion to create exceptional safaris and journeys to Africa, the Indian subcontinent, Latin America, and polar regions and beyond. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure to be on your new podcast. Look forward to talking to you and your guests. Great. Thank you for that. Just to start things off, can you tell us a little bit about the Classic Safari Company? What's the change you want to make? Or to put that another way, what's the vision you're trying to deliver? And who do you hope to help? The Classic Safari Company was born out of my love for nature and the wilderness. And since 1992, we've essentially stuck to that ethos of what we're trying to do as a travel company. The first destination we really specialised in was Africa. And out of that, we grew into destinations like South America and India and currently do other wilderness destinations like the Arctic and Antarctica. Our vision is to provide the best quality bespoke tailor-made trips to these destinations and at all times deliver a travel service that tries to incorporate the best that the destinations can offer ultimately and preferably using owner-operated outfits so that the experience is more personalised and envelops the passion of the people that are actually running the destinations and running the conservation programmes where we send them to. Who are the typical people that you send away on their fantastic adventures? It's been interesting. In the 90s when we started, I'd say our main client base who one would now call the baby boomers, were the guys that were going away on their, their holidays. And we, we actually sent a lot of Macquarie, well, actually, I think back then it was the Bankers Trust mob, then Macquarie Bankers and so forth. So it was quite a corporate group of people and they were essentially riding the first wave of Africa being the new hot destination post the apartheid era. So it was all quite exciting. And that was sort of tied in when the World Cup rugby was held in South Africa. So it all, Mandela was being released, the World Cup was on and corporates were traveling. So we, we, we somehow managed to niche ourselves into a corporate market and also had the good fortune at that time to, to send Bryce Courtney away on a wow. trip with a group of ad exec friends who used to be part of the Sydney Striders running group. Back then, they used to run every Saturday and they went across to South Africa to run the Comrades Marathon, which is a 88-kilometer race from, from Peter Maritzburg to Durban or vice versa. So Bryce was in, in this crew along wow. with all the sort of George Pat's executives and gosh, I can't even remember some of the companies. I don't think some of them are yeah. around. So that that was quite fun. And then off the back of that, Bryce, when he came back, wrote a fantastic story for us in, in the <clears throat> Sydney Morning Herald called The Power of Africa off the back of his book, The Power of One. And that generated probably still to the sting the most inquiries we ever got from one piece of editorial. So that also sort of kick-started the business and still to this day, it's very much our referral network off that very first group we sent, the the business grew off the back of that. And many of those guys are actually still our clients 30 right. years on, <laughs> which is quite amazing. So from that point of view, you know, we started off sort of targeting that. And also, I suppose, from the price point, we were doing tailor-made and luxury lodges. That was, when I say luxury, it, you know, a lot of the best wilderness lodges have the luxury price tag. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are yes. luxury in the pretentious sense. So yeah, so that, that, that's sort of the, the target market. And then over the years, 
I guess we've, you know, we've sent lots of families, multi-generational families, grandparents taking their kids and their grandchildren away. The family travel only really became much stronger as a sort of group or niche in the 2000s. And a lot of that was the clients from the 90s wanting to take their children away. And then we, we get a lot of, you know, retired folk traveling with us. And, you know, that's still a very strong part of our business. It's been pretty solid and pretty consistent from day one. The trend, I'd say, with those travelers is in the early days, they did the typical lodge fly-in safaris where they'd stay at really lovely lodges. And then it all became a little bit glam in Africa. And some of them did that. Now, a lot of those guys are actually coming back, but wanting to do more basic travel. Right. So they're not really chasing the, the fancy lodges or camps. They actually want to do experiential travel and walking, hiking, active travel. They don't really want to sit in fancy places twiddling their thumbs. It's it's interesting that they're still there and still active. Yeah. Is that a is that a trend that's across the industry or you're just seeing it? I think social media has been good and bad for for our industry and the influence possibly more bad than good because that you know they just drop into these amazing destinations that actually require quite a bit of effort to get yeah. to and and you know a lot of time spent earning your your keep and your income to to you know treat yourself and go to these great places and then then these influences just all of a sudden are there yep. making it all seem very easy and it's all about ticking the boxes and looking pretty in a place whatever you're doing in the spa bath or whatever <laughs> and it's it's almost made some places seem a bit common when they shouldn't be so yeah sort of a love and hate relationship there with, with that and I think it's turned some of the more down-to-earth, high-end clients away from that sort of right. experience because they're a... quite maybe a bit material or just chasing the brand rather yep. than the experience. Yeah. I just want the Instagram photo, which is unfortunate. Correct. Yes. Well, I could talk forever about the, the good and the bad of social <laughs> media in my industry, but we'll leave that to another yeah, discussion. It's a necessary evil, but I think it's, put it this way, social media and our social media campaigns haven't kept us a float. It's no. been more our at work and referral business from our existing client base. It's really, you know, been true to what our business is and, and respect and are loyal to what we do and, and yeah. come back because they trust what we do. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've almost moved since you first started working with them when you say in the nineties when they're baby boomers and now they're children, grandchildren and they're doing family stuff. So you're building products that are been able to grow with your core client base that hopefully is then introducing you to their their next generation, their kids and their grandchildren who hopefully can afford to travel on your fantastic experiences as well. Yeah. No, I think the biggest issue with the younger generation is everyone's obviously looking for stuff online and you know, they almost make us feel a little bit irrelevant. Right. I think if anything off the back of the COVID experience, many people are actually valuing the, the the good of a travel agent a lot more yeah. because when when I know what we did and what our staff had to go through to keep keep the show on the road and deliver people's ultimate holiday, albeit delayed, you know the the knowledge and relationships and and privilege of having that friendship with many of our suppliers definitely has made for our clients' experiences to be better post-COVID. So hopefully people will value that. And, you know, sometimes you feel like you do a whole lot of work for not much appreciation, but I, but I think that's possibly changed yeah. a little bit, but certainly for the people that matter. <laughs> yes. Look, we do a lot of work, as you know, with professional services businesses, and there's always that level of 
client expectation versus delivery effort and the perception and sometimes what we spend hours agonizing over a client thinks is a flippant piece of work and that's unfortunately the nature of service sometimes. I think if we were to charge by the hour for all the quotes that don't convert, yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. sometimes a lot of people, and I always find it, you know, we do have people that do inquire and don't come back to us and say, thank you appreciate that you did a lot of work for this but we can't go some people just never answer you and I just I just don't even think they understand the time and effort it takes to prepare some of the itineraries that we do more so because they are tailor-made no one itinerary is the same really no anyway it's just the nature of the beast but yep. in in countries like the US and so forth often they they have a you, you've got to settle you, you need to pay a five hundred dollar fee before they even talk to you um, yeah. So it's slightly different. It's something to test possibly in your industry. As you just mentioned, you started in the early 90s and last year you celebrated your 30th anniversary. Congratulations. That's an achievement that many of us would be enviable of. In thinking about your experience as a business owner over the last 30 odd years, what are you most proud of and why? The two things that, that shine out for me, one is the, the staff that we've got are sort of from that era still. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I think that's, that, you know, a lot of the people working in our business have been with us from the inception. So that that's pretty amazing. I think that's just, I guess, evident in the fact that they love what they do and enjoy the feedback they get from their clients. And, you know, we, we do sell tourism that, in my view, is sort of some of the best you can do in the world. So it's, you know, it's, it's, so I think that's a big attraction for staff and, and it, must mean that it's a fairly good environment to work. It must be because you're not the only company that offers <laughs> yeah. the sort of tools you do. Yeah. What do you what do you think it is about the the team and the culture that has also helped you attract them and keep them? I think it's very lazy, fair, a little bit chaotic at times, but I suppose it's fun and everyone yeah. sort of everyone within their own desk has a pretty free reign to do what they want and sell what they want and you know everyone sells it what they're passionate about. Not yeah. everyone's selling the same product all the time. We certainly don't have rules saying you have to sell this or that. It's just often what they've experienced and what they want to share with, right. with their guests. So it's, I suppose it's, it's not, it's not a cookie cutter type of business and it's not, you're not on the treadmill of selling the same thing day in and day out. So yeah. I think from a creative point of view and then good, good customers that provide good feedback that are quite fun to deal with, you know, because we've got some interesting clients. I think there's, you know, it's quite fun. So that's one. And the other, our brand yeah. has definitely set us apart. People come into our office or whenever they see anything we do, it's quite unique and it's quite stylish and sophisticated. And it's, it's actually been what's created our brand. We're not just a travel agent that's got desks and no sort of love around what it looks like or how it looks. And, yeah. you know, it's certainly it's quite strong and people admire our brand for what it is. So right. I, I do harp on about it a little bit and, you know, we've got to stay on brand, otherwise yep. we become another beast. Correct. And there's no shortage of people trying to step into your world. Correct. Just to follow up on the, the brand question, was that intentional from the very beginning you did and thought about the type of brand and culture you wanted to build and the, the message you wanted the brand to take to market or did it really develop ad hoc through the first few years of being in operation? No, I wouldn't say it was ad hoc. My style is the brand, how I project myself and the space I want to work in and live in is our brand. You know, finding our new office, which we have to do in the next few months, it's, you know, 80% of it is 
the space we work in, you know, finding something that's nice to come to and for clients to come to. And whilst we do a lot online and over the phone, we do have a lot of people coming to our office and as well as our suppliers. And everyone states that it's one of the nicest travel offices one has ever been into. And it makes people feel like you're going on holidays right away. As both a client of your office and a supplier coming to your office, I completely agree with that. You walk in and you feel like you're about to travel back into, well, literally into the old school safaris in Africa. Correct. The memorabilia around, so it's great. Yeah, and I think that just on that word old school, it's, yeah, we are trying to emulate the adventures of old and it's not about modern, contemporary, anything, although it's all become very sophisticated. It's just the nature-based travel and what we do is timeless. And I think you, you can go to some of these camps that we were selling in the 90s and go back to them today and they are literally the same. Maybe they've got solar power now, but the the actual sitting in the bush and watching what you're doing is still the same experience. And that's quite nice in this world where everything else seems to be changing around you. Yeah, I would extend that also to your service ethos and argue that the, the principles of service haven't changed in the last 30 years either. Yes, some of the ways you communicate and reach your customers have changed. The concept of giving them a white glove red carpet experience that they feel treated and special and cared for is is what you were focused on 30 years ago and I imagine what you're still focused on today. Correct. Very much so. Each staff member has their own group of customers and they look after them and they have great relationships with the top CEOs of companies and they become their provider of fun. <laughs> yeah. If you're booking multiple trips for them over multiple years, you get to understand who they are and what they like. And yeah. that only drives a more personal experience. Yeah. Which then is where the referral business comes in. Are we just in this dilemma? Do you do SEO? Do you do this? Do you do that? Every single client that contacts us or inquiry, we ask how they hear about and us. Sure. And it's 99% of the time, it's a referral or past yeah. client. Yeah. We talk a lot about building and creating remarkable experiences. And if you can achieve that, then your marketing is done as you've, as you've experienced by the people that you create that experience for. Yeah. And no matter how much advertising or social media you may do, that word of mouth is still the single most profitable and that channel for marketing. Yeah. 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 No, I agree 100%. <laughs> Just to go a different way and, and not to necessarily focus on the negative, but as I said, when we were pre-recording that a lot of the insights that people generate come from hardship. And nobody could argue that the travel industry, possibly more than any other industry, over not just the last few recent history, but going a number of years back, has faced numerous local and global challenges. What are some of the key lessons you've learned that have helped you create a sustainable success through the, the decades where travel's probably been hit at least in the last 15, 20 years, every few years by some sort of traumatic event? Oh, that's, that's a tricky question. Look, I think the thing is the first major drama that happened in the history of our business actually happened 10 years on from starting, which was the Zimbabwe crisis, right. which was before September 11. So Zimbabwe used to be the main access point for Africa when the apartheid era was on. The only place Qantas initially flew to was Zimbabwe, and then they added on a stopover in Joburg. So it became a triangle flight. When Mugabe went a little bit crazy, that, that threw a big spanner in the works. And we obviously had to make another plan. What we started doing back then was South America and India really came out of that because we thought we better not have all of our eggs in one basket because 
when that goes pear-shaped, then you've got no other business. Our diversification into those other destinations was twofold. It was because of that. But then also we had a lot of our clients saying, hey, we've done Africa with you. What else do you do that's in similar areas? Then September 11 happened. The whole world ground to halt there for a moment. So that, that affected everyone. And then we had Ebola, which was again another Africa crisis. What we found is that by diversifying, when one destination goes a little bit sour, we've got other options to offer clients. Adapting to that yep. is, is something we had to do. Things that really did affect our business in terms of a big drop-off in sales revenue, et cetera, was more the health matters. So yep. Bolo, COVID, no matter your income or your sort of demographic, you're affected by your health and all the fear of losing your health. I think adaptability and diversification has kept us going, but today still Africa's our mainstay. Having said that, off the back of COVID, it seems every destination's come back almost the same. The other one that we had to adapt for is the Aussie dollar. So much of the product we buy is US dollar based. So when the Aussie dollar weakens against it, it makes trips a lot more expensive. So that sort of initiated a bit of a diversification into Australia for a time. One nice thing about being tailor-made and not having fixed brochured product because we can adapt the product to suit the situation. Excellent. Thank you for that. Just to follow up on the adaptable nature, you talked very much around the product, the destinations and changing, well, specifically what you sell to your core audience. Have there been, or could you provide any examples of internal operational adaptation or change you've had to make to to overcome things? The whole IT side of things, we're a little bit of a dinosaur. We've just got quite a complicated system that we've created that sort of does a bit of everything because there's no one travel program that integrates flights with quoting, with invoicing, with everything that goes on, spitting out itineraries for clients, et cetera, without duplicating. I guess the, the online side of things from an accounting point of view, we went from in the first early years had Kalamazoo. <laughs> which was a big clunky board where you had to get multiple carbonated pieces of paper and strap it into something that you had to line the holes up. It was so ridiculous. And we did run the business off that. Actually, before that, we ran the business off Telex machines. We used to Telex Africa, and then we did faxes, and we used to have computers that weren't networked. Each staff member printed out their request for the day, and then we'd stick it together on one big piece of paper and then feed it through the fax machine. But we first had to wait for the phone lines to Africa to open up and someone to answer without it disconnecting. Wow. When you think that that's how we used to communicate and moved quite a few people that way and then we've adapted to email and Africa actually almost had email well before everyone else because all the phone copper wires on the phone lines in Africa had been swiped. So they had to get email quickly. So we, we were using email quite, quite yeah. a lot. So that, that revolutionized the business and having everything networked helped. More recently, the biggest challenges we're having with IT are now because everything's changing so quickly. Yeah. You can't just design a system, spend thousands of dollars on it, and then all of a sudden it's become obsolete quite quickly. The biggest change, and it's maybe a fortuitous thing with COVID, is particularly with our client base and being older, and their IT skills have become pretty savvy. And it's very rare that we have older clients that don't have a computer or right. you know, know how to use everything. Going digital is definitely what we're trying to do and are doing because we're just not going to print things anymore because people don't need it and don't want no. it. There's a few challenges there, but it's it's just moving quickly and 
it's hard to sit above it and know what the right thing is to do for the fear of it all changing tomorrow yeah. again anyway. Correct. And if it's not an investment in dollars, it's definitely an investment in time. And time is our scarcest resource and we all have to manage tightly. Running a business, especially a small to medium-sized enterprise, requires resilience. How have you developed the mental muscle to drive changes in your role in the business? And what do you do to remain resilient every day? I'm a bit of a fighter, I'd say. But resilience, I've come to learn, it's just you've got to have the attitude of water off a duck's back. It's tiring sometimes when the last decision is yours always. So it's like, can someone else actually make a decision for a change? I think the most overwhelming thing for us in this business is just the whole website, internet, SEO, social media. It's just, it's a minefield out there and it's just, it's just, do you have to do it? Do you not? And it's, it's, it's just, there's no one answer. It's just a little bit of sink or swim. <laughs> well, yes. If you go and ask an SEO agency, is SEO valuable? Well, they're obviously going to say. We see this across lots of our clients who are business owners. It's the confusion about what to do, what's the role of marketing in an organization, when is it effective? Yeah. Most of our valuable learnings have come from setback or hardship. Can you tell us a story of an adverse event or challenge that led to a positive change in the classic safari company? COVID, I think, has been the most adverse thing that's actually resulted in us cleaning out a lot of dead wood, readdressing how we operate and just becoming more digital, which gives us a whole lot more flexibility. Our business got turned on its head and we've come out of it with a smaller business that's hopefully going to be a little bit sharper. Right. It's just gave us a chance to shrink and then build out of it. And then just being a bit more specific about what we want to do. It's just like we're not going to look, look after clients that don't really answer an email if they don't yep. bother to respond it's like okay we've got other ones that are so a bit more ruthless cutthroat with yes. the whole thing it's been a, a fundamental change in our businesses as well is around simplifying the business so simplifying it from a team structure organization structure but also from a product and services delivery yeah as you said that your whole proposition is around bespoke travel in almost all over the world now not quite every place but yeah. Most of the exotic places, you've still got a fairly complicated product that yeah. you're selling. So yeah. how do you balance the, the nature of a complicated product with a simplification process you've been driving into the business? I think it's just offer less choice. Right. Yeah. So it's a product we've experienced or know, not try and sell everything to everyone. We almost refer business to other travel companies like our own, rather than trying to bumble through it badly. And clients value that. We might not earn as much income out of it, but you know, it's just a it's a referral, our recommended referral, so that they can at least have a holiday that's close to what we deliver, in yep. a destination we don't specialize in. Well, and that works quite well. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Especially you're still staying true to building that great experience, and in yeah. fact, acknowledging that you can't deliver that great experience within your own skill set. Your clients respect that approach, and and that builds a stronger brand perspective for them with you. Thank you for that. A question around the longevity. In creating a sustainable company, a company that has potential to last decades or even generations, the role of the leaders continually changes. What have been the most significant changes in your role specifically, Julie, and were the intentional changes that you made or driven by specific circumstances? I think over time, just not being as stubborn as maybe I was at the start. <laughs> I think they used to call me Sadie, the cleaning lady, because I was very paranoid about how clean the office was. And I've definitely relaxed on that. 
No, I think I'm a bit more laid back about everything. Yeah. Don't get quite get as uptight about stuff. And that's just because, you know, you, you don't want to be constantly at it. Maybe a bit, bit of battle weary. Sure. <laughs> the path what, of least resistance. But yeah. What about thinking about in terms of activities that you do? So the balance between working on the business, driving the brand and the marketing of Classic Safari Company versus booking travel. I mean, for example, do you book comparatively... Travel? Very little travel to what you used to do when the business first started. And, and yeah, no, so that's just as an example, but I was looking for changes in your role around, around that sort of thing, not just the fact that you've matured and become a less <laughs> fastidious <laughs> cleaning person. I, I always try and sit in the helicopter because otherwise you just get too caught up. Everyone else is on the ground working. Yep. I try and stay a little bit above everything just so I can make sure we on track and keep things going. Having said that, another good thing about COVID is because of COVID and we didn't have staff is I did go back into doing sales again. And that's been really good because it's meant I can see what's going on and understand what the staff are dealing with more in terms of me thinking that they can handle it when there is actually a lot of admin, too much admin to handle on files. So that, you know, I suppose that's given one insight to then try and improve and fix how the whole thing works. So yeah, I think that's been a you know another positive coming out of COVID. I do do sales and I enjoy it and clients like it because they obviously like speaking to the owners and the people, that, you know, more so the experiences that we've had, you know, because I've done a lot of trips that the staff haven't done. Being involved in that just makes you feel like you're closer to the business and you're not yep. just administering it, which is a bit boring, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a bit like the, the proposition I think it's McDonald's that has every staff member has to work in a store for whatever it is, a week or a month, a year. But the insight that it gives a manager to work actually on the ground at the coalface is, is phenomenal. Yeah. In yeah. terms in terms of keeping that helicopter view, are there are there things or activities you do each week or month to continue to elevate yourself and not get dragged down? Because it, the tyranny of the business owner is often we get pulled back into the business. Back into it to solve the problems or because the client has a relationship with us. And I know personally, I continually try to push myself to work on yeah. the business every day, but just some yeah. days that's not possible. Possible. I run a Trello board, which is quite good now, <laughs> just yep. to keep, which I use as a to-do list, nothing more really. Every day I open it and I look at it and I plan my day. And then at the end of the day, I prioritize what I've got to do. And, and in that I've got management stuff too, so that I don't get bogged down doing client things. I try and demarcate my day and spend time doing sales or marketing, sorry, like client sales versus I know I've got marketing projects to do. And the, I mean, the trick is not to put those ones in the back burner all the time because they are actually really important. I find yeah. that quite challenging is having to do the things you don't like. And then just trying not to be too thinly spread because then you just don't feel like you're doing any one job properly. Correct. Um, and saying no, like just that's not my gig. And then you just say no. I think that's also really important because yeah. you can't say yes all the time because then you just can't cope. <laughs> There's plenty of written about and thinking about that the more you say no, the better it is because yeah. then when you do say yes, you're saying yes to the right things. Yeah. yeah. You and your business partner, Sarah, again, at the same level in terms of operationally running the business, not the day-to-day -day of booking people's travel, but are there processes that you and Sarah follow again weekly monthly or quarterly to, to manage the business or you just have quite a fluid ad hoc relationship to when things need to be discussed you just discuss them it would be better if we had more like once a week focus meetings but it is ad hoc because 
we are ad hoc and, yeah. and coming and going all the time. However, within the business, we have quite clear roles whereby I focus on what I do and she does what she does. And it seems to work pretty well. Yeah. You know, we just let each other run with it. And again, I suppose that's why, you know, as a partnership, we've had, you know, we're 50 50 in the business. Occasionally, we've had, yeah, I can actually count on one hand the major blues we've had. Because at the end of the day, no one shareholder's got more than the other. Yeah. So it's just, you've got to just actually work out what's going to be fair. Because, yeah. we, you know, we don't have a third person to swing the vote, if you want to call it that. Um, it's been a partnership for nearly 22 years now, and it's still going. And I guess in a way, a little bit selfishly, we do what we both like doing. That makes us, you know, it's why we're here. That's you said that it, it would probably be better if you did meet weekly. Why do you think that it would be better? And if it, you I think, think it would be better, why don't yeah. you do that? No, well, you know, even this last weekend, we were sending messages to each other, disagreeing about something on Sunday. And I actually said, you know what, it's Sunday, I'm not doing it now. You know, you just, I suppose you shoot from the hip sometimes and say yeah. things and it's misconstrued and, you know, maybe just parking it and bringing it up later might just be better just to save anxiety or stress unnecessarily because usually we're on the same page. When's the best time to talk? And I think it's really stressy when you, your mind's in one role doing something and then something comes from left field where they want an answer now that's just not related to what you're thinking about. I think it's just an unnecessary distraction. Right. So um, in some ways, if, it was a, if you had a regular meeting, you could bank up the issues to discuss there rather than just yeah. shooting them from the I'll report back and tell you whether we're doing this after this podcast. <laughs> Excellent. One final question, again, taking a, a long-term perspective of the business and thinking about where it's going next. What's the next key strategic initiative that you're implementing to continue your success and what do you hope that that will achieve? Look, I think for, we are, in the next little while, we're actually looking at bringing on someone dedicated to help Sarah with the woman's business because that's you know the woman's only travels you know a growing niche in the world and Sarah's doing it all on her own and pre-COVID she had someone helping but you know that's not really the, the classic safari company as such it's more the journeys for women and it because it does many other destinations yep. but it's but it's it's on a roll so I think that's a little bit of a where's that going to look in the business and how it's going to look discussion that we're having at the moment. It might end up being its own little niche within the business that's run autonomously from the mainstream bespoke travel that we do with all the other destinations. Wouldn't overlap staff necessarily, so we could possibly box it up and put it put it aside. That's one. Look, I think the next other big thing is just taking the whole itinerary building system that we've, we've seen multiple ones that are really quite nice, but it's just finding that solution that does what we've got, but also makes everything come out digitally that looks good. Yeah. Because at the moment we use a combination of many different things and it's, whilst it's fine and it looks nice, it presents really well, it's clunky. Yeah. So it's just technology has overtaken us a little bit. Yeah. Well, the technology is driving change across every business in every industry. Yeah. Just look at the general appreciation or understanding of AI that's changed phenomenally in the last two months with the launch of all the, the new AI technologies and how that's going to change everything yeah. as well. Yeah, you almost need a full-time IT person. <laughs> Correct. And it's not an IT person to manage your network and systems, it's actually to think about where is IT going and how going. is it going to drive yeah. the, the next generation of businesses. Yeah. 
it's a little bit no one's keeping up with it i don't think i agree completely. and and keeping up with producing something that actually looks nice <laughs> yeah yes and look the unfortunately or fortunately my perspective we're in the small business we're not at the bleeding edge of technology we don't have the both financial as well as time resources available to to test and learn and play with everything to see what's going to roll out to a degree we have to see a little bit about where the market's going and then we can leverage the technologies that once they're a little bit more tried and tested. I don't think many small businesses can afford to be early adopters of too much no, technology. No, no. And the thing is, you jump into using a new thing and it is jumping from the pan into the fire potentially. You know, what you think might have been solving one problem has created a whole new headache. Correct. Mm. Well, you know, change always does create more change, but generally <laughs> yeah. positive. So, Julie, I just wanted to thank you. That was my final question, unless there's something else you wanted to add in summing up. No, that was fun. Thank you. It was enjoyable chat. Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And again, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to watching the continued success of the Classic Safari Company and seeing how you drive the next generation (laughs) of bookings for your business. Thank you.